You're listening to a message from Pastor Jack Holt at the River. Tonight I want to talk about defending against negativity in your life. And when I begin to present this tonight, I just want to say this, that faith that is successful, it has two aspects to it. It has an offense to it where you take by faith what God has promised but there's also a defense to it and many of you know in football you can have the greatest quarterback there is but if you got a lousy defense he's going to get sacked and he's not going to do good at all it's the same way with faith and I've seen over the years many people who hear the message they get excited I'm going to believe in faith but because they don't have a developed defense against negativity in their life they end up giving it away or doubting before the manifestation of it occurs in their life whether it's healing provision and so tonight I want to talk about how you can personally fight against negativity and we live in a world that's extremely negative in fact I don't know if you know this but over in UK they have a, a law now that is it's a law against hate speech it sounds noble but it's a law that actually forbids preachers from saying some things in scripture in other words you can get fined and thrown in jail by saying jesus is the way the truth and the life years ago i was invited to preach in uk but i didn't feel like traveling that far I'm glad I didn't or I would have got arrested. Because if you talk about homosexuality and say it's a sin, you can be arrested for that. And so anyway, the, the thing is, we live in a world right now that is very agitated. And a lot of Christians in America are getting very frustrated. And there's such a negative flow in our culture that if you're not careful, it contaminates your faith and cause your faith not to win in the way that God wants it to win it. Amen? So we're going to learn tonight how to defend against negativity in your life, whether it's in a relationship issue, whether it's in a social issue, uh, whether it's in just standing in faith on the promises. We're going to learn how to defend that. Are you ready tonight, everybody? I want you to bump the person with you and say, this is for you. You're going to be helpful tonight or you're going to give me trouble. Amen. <laughs> All right, so I want you to look up at the screen or look in your Bibles. This is Second Kings chapter 7, verse 1. And let me give you a little backdrop to this. This is Elisha. How many know Elisha is a great prophet? Double anointing from Elijah, renowned preacher. And uh, he's in the city, and the city has been besieged because of their enemies, which means they can't go out, can't come in which means fort, the, the food source is going down and the price of food is going up because they've been in this besieged city for a long, long time. And notice what the prophet said. Then Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time, a sheaf of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, two sheaves of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So an officer whose hand the king leaned, answered the man of God and said, Look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And he said, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, 
but you shall not eat of it. Here's a guy that's obviously very close to the king, an advisor, but during this besieged that happened in the city, he became so negative that when the good news was preached to him, he couldn't receive it. And so he literally criticized the prophet, and the prophet said, you're going to see it, but you'll never enjoy it. In other words, you'll see the salvation, but you won't be able to enjoy it personally. The Bible said, taste and see that the Lord is good, both. No one wants to see their neighbors prosper, not them. No one wants to see other people succeed and not them. No one wants to see everybody get healed but you. God wants you to experience the whole thing, but because of the, the negativity that was happening to him, he missed out on it. Now, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Have you ever noticed in church you can have people come to church, hear the same message, experience the same sensation, same music, everything be the same, but have a total different response. I've had people come to church and afterwards they're so edified, they're so built up, they're so fired up and, and they're excited about everything. And then another guy may sit in there and he may leave the service and say, well, it's too long. Or it's too short, it should have been longer. I don't like wearing masks. They put me up front, I didn't want to sit up front. They put me in the middle of the, of the, the row, I wanted to sit on the end of the row. By the way, I don't think pastors should wear jeans either. So, but both of them heard the same message and experienced the same things, but some people have given way to negativity, which affects how they look at life. And I, I know this personally, that you'll never have great faith if you're a negative person. You have to break the negativity because negativity always leads to an outcome that you don't want to believe for. It leads to fear. It leads to all this doubt in your life. So you've got to fight against it. And the devil loves it when he gets Christians negative because they don't believe. But when you're positive, it's easier. Now, it's not just positive thinking. You also, you've got to apply your faith. But the positive aspects, the battleground in the mind will win when you're in a case like that this guy lost out on the on the gospel message the good word of god he lost out on it could have had it could have been the the best day of his life that year but he missed it simply because he allowed what he saw and felt to get inside of him and it disabled the power of god and the gospel and in the story, what happens the next day, uh, these lepers that had went out and discovered that the enemy had left and they had left their spoil and everything, they came back into the city, told everybody, and there was a stampede towards the gate. And they stampe as they stampeded, they trampled the poor guy, and he died. And I want to say this, because you need to understand God. God did not tell that man what he said through the prophet so that he'd be trampled in the gate remember the judgments of God are conditional just like when Jonah spoke to Nineveh said in 40 days you're going to be destroyed didn't say a thing about repentance but they heard that word and responded to it if he would have responded and said prophet I'm sorry I was unbelieved God would have changed the verdict the Bible said in Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 11 that God finds no pleasure 
in the death of the wicked. Hallelujah. God doesn't get off when a sinner goes to hell. He doesn't get off when someone goes broke. He doesn't get off when someone doesn't get healed. But he says a word because your unbelief can affect the outcome in your life. And he wants you to respond to the word in a way that will wake you up and bless you. You know, one of the things I've learned over the years is that it's a lot easier to be positive in some churches than in other churches. And this is not a slam on churches, but some, some preachers are traditionally taught, which means they interpret a lot of the scriptures based on human understanding rather than just read the scriptures for what they are. And what happens then is people many times interpret the scriptures in a negative way. Let me give you an example. Hebrews, the 10th chapter, says that Jesus was sacrificed once and for all, and we've been forever perfected by that one sacrifice through our sanctification. In other words, what he's saying is when you accept Christ, God's one sacrifice forgave you of all your sins, past present and future we preach that in the church some churches preach this they preach that when you get saved God forgives you up to the point of your next sin and the problem with that is you're going to run into eventually a sin that you haven't mastered can I talk about worry say amen and so there's bound to be a sin in your life that you can't master the way you want. And so there's going to be a guilt in your life, a condemnation in your life. Uh, uh, and so you're not going to be as positive because you've got a little piece of, of, of what it was taught, but another piece that was left out and it makes you more negative. It's kind of like people that believe we're going through the Great Tribulation. You're going to be even more negative than me. I believe the scriptures are emphatic that the church is not destined to God's wrath. So we're not going through the great tribulation. I'm going to be more positive because of that. So I think traditionally, some people have a hard time being positive because they have the traditions of men that they've absorbed and got into their spirits, and they believe that that's the truth, and it isn't. And it produces negativity in your life. Remember, repentance comes not by God's wrath. It comes by God's goodness. The goodness of God leads people to repentance. It's the very fact that God warns you before you went to hell that brings you, brings you to Christ. It's the very fact that God moved on you before you changed your life that brings you to Christ. It's his love that brings you to Christ and changes you. Come on, church. Give God praise. It's true. So... I want tonight, I really want to show you how to drive out this negativity that tries to find its place in you. And you'll find that when this occurs, you're going to be more upbeat. It's going to be easier to believe God. And once you believe in faith, you're not going to find yourself wavering all the time because you're going to defend against the doubt and the negative spirit that's in the world that we're in. See, negativity comes from sin. It never comes from God. It comes from sin. If there was no sin in the world, there'd be no negativity. So we need to defend ourselves against that. Now, I could preach it like this. You believe God. You got offensive faith. You receive in faith. And now you put your defenses up, put your handrails up, make sure you don't go over your moral boundaries 
And that's a way you fall too, but I believe the negativity is the result of all the moral f failure. So if you can deal with the negative look at things in your faith, you can resist the temptations that come at you. Why do people have affairs? Because they don't feel accepted by their spouse or they don't like themselves. It's, it's, all, it's all related to something negative that causes them to succumb to the temptation. Amen. Whether you like it or not, it's good preaching. Say amen. Praise God. Now let me show you something. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 4. Look at this. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing in, in every thought and captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, I know we could quote this, but I wanted you to see this first because I want you to see the word stronghold. Stronghold here, it's not talking about a demonic stronghold. There can be demons involved, but it's talking about a mental stronghold where your human reasoning defends disobedience in your life. It defends you exalting your own understanding to a level that you don't obey the word. Those strongholds have to be tore down or you're going to end up in a position where the negative aspect of it will control your decisions and what you do in your life. It's called in psychology uh, cognitive biased cognitive biased it's it happens from personal experiences of pain of betrayal of somebody taking unfair treatment of you something as a child you know that happened that was dramatic to you uh, that's where it comes from and, and when it happens all of a sudden your filter in your mind is not a good filter let me give you some examples of this in, 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 uh, personal examples let's take we'll, we'll hit on the ladies first okay I've been preaching a long time so I know what ticks off women and what doesn't <laughs> but a lot of women are abused they have a, a history of some type of abuse by men now not all men are abusive I'm sweet as a button say amen but maybe you were one of those that was, that was abused, maybe by your father, maybe by a relative, maybe by a close friend, maybe by a husband. And you were abused. And it built in you this stronghold, this cognitive bias, where everything filters through the pain that you went through in that bad experience. And so I get up and I preach, and I say something like this. The Bible says that women are to submit to their husband as unto the Lord. And all of a sudden, this stronghold comes up in your mind. Oh, I'm leaving now. I'm not going. I'm going to stay. My, praise God. I'm going to come back next week for another message. I'm not going to listen to that trash. <laughs> yeah. That's what these strongholds are. And the problem is, if you want to have faith in any area, you've got to break through that. Whether it's financially, whether it's the perspective you have on divine healing, you got to break through those, con 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 uh, con those, those strongholds. 
And if you don't break through them, you'll find this cycle in your life where you keep making the same stupid mistakes over and over and over again, and you'll never see the victory that God wants you to have. And you'll kind of get stalemated and never grow anymore. When you don't grow anymore, you eventually perish spiritually. Amen? Amen. Or how about this one? You were raised in a family, your, your, your parents were fairly poor, and they had a very disgusting attitude towards wealthy people. Maybe they were abused by somebody with wealth or whatever, who knows. But, they give, but they're always talking about the wealthy people, there's, they don't need all that money, they're ripping everybody off, all that stuff, and you're raised with that. So you eventually get married and move out, and you get a great job. All of a sudden, all this money starts coming in. And you start feeling funny about the wealth that you're receiving, and you can't put your finger on it, but just, well, I, I don't feel deserving of this. I don't think I should have this. And, and that's what I'm talking about. It's a stronghold that creates a negative feeling that locks you into not being able to do what God wants you to do. God wants all of us wealthy and healthy and blessed. God wants all of you blessed abundantly. Amen? But if you have that stronghold, it can cause you to feel funny about something that you should not feel funny about. Are you listening to me? This is really powerful, too. In fact, if you ever want to do any kind of success in any area, you've got to first find the strongholds that are in your thinking, and you need to eliminate them by the renewing of the mind. But here's the part that's hard. These strongholds, they come from neo-pathways. That's what they call it in psychology. It, it's these little pathways. When you think a certain way, it creates little, little rivers or little pathways in your mind. And they're literally channels that go in your mind. And the more you think about one particular thing, the easier it is to think about that. Now, this, this is why guys have less problems. Because they, they, their mind goes there, and it goes there, and it goes there. And the more they do it, the easier it is to do it. And the more they find themselves looking instead of doing what they should be doing. Can you say amen, everybody? Come on. So to break it, you got to get some new neural pathways. Amen. You got to start to think differently. But at first, you got just a little, little crack in your brain. But the more you think that way, the bigger it gets. And then it becomes natural for you to be successful in whatever that you're trying to do the will of God in. Say amen. And it's about repetition. In fact, one psychologist said this. He said it takes 10,000 repetitions to break a pathway that's been ingrained in a person's mind. So that means you've got 10,000 services you've got to go to. <laughs> amen. I don't know if that's true, but I do know that it's easier to think the wrong way when you have had an incident and there's pain involved with it. Your mind just easily goes that direction. And that's why people waver and date. And, that, and that's why in the Bible, whenever God used someone, he always ministers to what they need. Like Gideon, he needed self-esteem. So he says, you're a mighty man of valor. Amen. He's got, he can't use them until he gets a better self-esteem of himself. It's all through the Bible. God deals that way with people 
He changes how they think about themselves. He destroys the stronghold and then gives them faith, and that faith then begins to bring the miracle. Let me show you what's at stake. Deuteronomy 7, 17. Look at this. Look at this verse. If you should say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I di di uh, dispossess them? This is what God is telling Joshua. He's saying, listen, if you let it get out of your mouth and you start saying this nation, this, these, these people that you're fighting against are greater than you, I won't be able to take what they possess and give it to you. Strongholds prevent us from receiving from God what God wants us to have. And that's why the Bible is so strong about forgiveness. If we don't forgive people quickly, you get those neo pathways in your mind. Wake up in the middle of the night thinking about how they wronged you. Start talking about it easily. Start going the wrong direction. That's why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, if you're in a state where you're uh, offended somebody or, or someone's offended you, it says to reconcile with them quickly because he don't want own pathways. I've, I've talked to people that have been offended with people for 20 years. Can you imagine the rivers in their head? And it, they exaggerate, they blow it out of proportion because once you start believing a lie, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Hallelujah. For your own sake, let it go and bury it. Don't bring it up again. For your own sake, are you going to be a wounded Christian? Useless for the kingdom. Offended people are useless for the kingdom. All they do is contaminate people with their bitterness. Aren't you glad you're not like that? Aren't you glad you're chipper? You forgive pastor when he makes a mistake? Say amen. You forget leadership when it makes a mistake? Say amen. Because, hey, we're all in the same boat, and there's not anybody here perfect except Jesus. And so these are principles that keep these mental strongholds in your life. I remember when I first started out, I had a religious background, so I, my view of, of wealth and stuff was uh, the way religion teaches you, basically. Not so much anymore, but in my day it was that way. And I remember I was a, a, with a missionary, and we were at a 7-Eleven playing one of those pinball machines. We got carried away and spent 10 bucks on a pinball machine. Afterwards, the missionary's feeling grieved. He's feeling guilty. And his mind wasn't renewed like mine. I said, get over it, man. Come on. You need to read the Bible. God wants you to prosper. If you want to play a pinball machine and spend $10, come on. Say amen. But some of you are like that right now. And God, if God appeared to you and said, I'm going to give you a billion dollars, I want you to go out and buy this, this, and this, you'd have a hard time with it because your mind, you got strongholds that identify that with evil. And sure, there's evil with money, but that don't mean it has to be with you. Say amen. Some of the most spiritual people in the Bible were extremely wealthy. Amen? It's all about whether or not you use it in the right way. And so... I want to break that tonight. These mental strongholds that are preventing you from reaching higher, they're stealing your joy. 
Because you got to have joy. you got to have peace. If you can't have joy and peace on the journey, you probably won't get to your destination. You can't endure if you're sad all the time. I see so many Christians, they're so unhappy. we got to count it all joy. Amen? we got to renew our mind and let God work in us the way that he has told us to and bring us to that place. Let me show you the power of negativity. You remember the story of the 12 spies that went in to check in the promised land? You should if you've been in church at all. Ten out of the 12 had a bad report. And listen to what they said. This is in number 1333. It says this. We are grasshoppers in our own sight, so we were in their sight. That's what they said. In other words, when the people looked at us, we were grasshoppers in their eyes. I bet you anything that they didn't go to one of those people and ask them personally, do you think I'm a runt? <laughs> that was their perspective because they were overcome by the negativity in the circumstances when they went into the promised land. Because I know personally that jo that. Rahab, because it says this in Scripture, she said this about the inhabitants of the promised land. She said they were afraid of you. They had heard that God split the Red Sea and you came across. They were terrified of you, but yet these ten spies, their perspective was, we're nothing in their sight, when in reality, they were terrified of the Jewish believers. Can you say amen? It's all about perspective. If you don't have the right perspective, your faith is going to retreat and you're not going to be able to see the thing that God wants you to see in your life. You need to make sure that you have a filter in your mind that is a filter from the Word of God. And if you've really been hurt, like all of us have, you got many times you've got to renew your mind in that area that you got hurt in. Feed on the word until you change the way you think about it, and it's more natural for you to let it go than it is to think about it. Then your faith will grow, and it will soar in that area. Now, I'm going to give you a way to do this, and it's real simple. If you're facing negativity in your life, how do I change from always seeing the negative part and seeing the positive part? How do I change from that? It's all about reframing the way that you see things now if you look up in the tv or the screen back here could you put that up please check out there's a sunset or a sun whatever and there's a storm here's what most people do when they're in a trial they focus in on this part when they should be reframing their life on this part instead of instead of looking at everything that's wrong with your spouse over here you start looking at everything that is right about her it's all about reframing and when you look at me look at the good part don't look at the bad part 
You know what I'm talking about? In other words, when you're looking at your spouse, just check out all the good stuff, reframe it, reframe the situation, reframe the event that took place, reframe it, and begin to reframe it according to the Word of God so that you don't have a stronghold there that will hinder and hamper your marriage relationship from being what it should be. Amen? My wife always tells me first how great I am. Amen? She never discourages me first. She tells me how great I am first. And she tells me too. Well, anyway, maybe I shouldn't be saying this. (laughs) She reframes the situation. She reframes it. Sometimes you've got to refrain, reframe everything. The way the conversation started. In fact, I was so bent on this one time. Me and my wife, I know you don't think we ever argue, but we were in an argument. And we, were, we got in the car and we had left and we were still arguing. I slammed on the brakes, pulled a U-turn, drove back into the garage, told her to get out of the car, went in the house, then we kissed and made up, and then came back out. And I said, we're going to do this the right way. We're not going to do it that way. Had to reframe it. I always like the kissing and making up part. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Thank you, Jesus. You got to do the same thing with life. Maybe you went to your job and, man, they just treated you badly and they lied about you and all that. You got to reframe that in a way that your faith will grow in it. You're going to go, I don't know why they did that, but God must have something better for me. Yep. You know, I don't know why he said that, but maybe he's suffering. Maybe he's, maybe he's uh, under some kind of duress here, and I need to pray for him. You, if you reframe it, you'll be able to get your faith back and believe God. The relationship will be great, and the kids will be great. If you've raised kids, you know what I'm talking about. That, you know, when they're smaller, they're great. You can uh, whip them, spank them, and they, and they actually conform. But as soon as they get around, I don't know, about 10 to 13, they think they know more than you know. And you got to reframe those situations or you're going to get bitter towards your own kids and then your faith won't work towards your kids. You got to say, hey, they're going through the same thing I went through. I'm just, you know, I'm looking at it from this perspective, but I know from their eyes, they don't see how stupid they're acting. Amen? Now, to give you an example of this in Scripture, and this is powerful. How many of the Apostle Paul, he had a vision from the Lord, and that was to preach to the Gentiles, which means he had a global mission without airplanes, without radio, without television, without Instagram, without Facebook. He had a global mission to preach the gospel of Christ. And in those days, the objective or the biggest thing you could do was to go to Rome. Rome was the hub of the world. The problem was, in Rome, it is illegal to preach Christianity. And if you don't uh, idolize Rome above gods or whatever your god, they'll execute you. So Paul had this vision, but how to perform it, he would, and he didn't intend on getting locked up in jail. He didn't intend that. He was just doing God's will. And what happened was he got arrested for preaching. 
and because he was a Roman citizen and obviously very wealthy because they, 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 put, they put the Praetorian Guard in charge of the Apostle Paul. I don't know if you understand what the Praetorian Guard is in Rome. They are, there's 22,000 of them. These are elite soldiers. And these are not just bodyguards to high officials. These people are the people that put in the next kings, the next emperors. They're that influential. And these are the people that Paul was, uh, uh, was chained to. Look in Philippians, his perspective. I would have been negative to tell you the truth if I was incarcerated. But listen to what Paul says. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard, that's the Praetorian guard, and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren, watch this, he has another positive perspective. The Lord having become confident by my chains are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Here Paul, here's Paul, he's in jail. He's got a chain on his leg. He's chained to a guard. And instead of being negative, he sees a perspective to it that you could only see through faith. And the Bible said that he was, while he was waiting to appear before Caesar, he rented a house, and we're talking about a five-bedroom home, is, is what the research I've seen on it that they had in those days in Rome. And he rented this house, and the guards were there. Now, here's the beauty of the whole thing. If he would have went there without being, you know, on house arrest, they would have stoned him and killed him. But because he was chained to the Praetorian guard... Nobody could touch him. And he sat there every day and preached to people that came to his house. They thought they had him captive. How would you like to have your neighbor that doesn't know Jesus chained to you while you're preaching for five hours? He can't leave. And Paul, for two years, went through all of these elite soldiers that were the ones that put in the emperors. Many of them got saved. In, in the natural, I think, boy, this is terrible. Even being under house arrest is terrible. But his perspective was not terrible at all because he reframed it with his faith and he wouldn't allow the negativity to get into his heart. And he believed that God was doing his will and that all things work together for the good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Wow. Can you do that? And sometimes I've done it, but sometimes I've failed miserably. Tell you the truth. But there's something about it. If you can just keep your faith out, keep the negative out, reframe the situation and start going, wait a minute. The word said no weapon for him against you shall prosper. The word said all things work together for the good. The word said that God always leads me in triumph, not defeat. Paul wasn't expecting to preach less. In fact, he wrote most of his epistles while he was incarcerated and preaching every day to all the people that came by the house to hear him preach. And no one could touch him in Rome. Say amen, everybody. And so there's a power in this that I want to embrace you with, and I'm going to leave you with this. Negativity is something we're all going to deal with, especially in the, the life that we live in now. 
because the world is just going through a struggle right now and everything's about bitterness everything's about anger and frustration and so we're going to have to be strong in this area or we're going to begin to waver in our faith remember this mark 5 6 said this jesus in his hometown could not do any mighty miracles he didn't say that he would not he said he could not here's jesus with the spirit without measure no doubt in him at all but the influence of the people the unbelief of the people prevented him from doing it that's why in the gospels you find jesus oftentimes takes a blind man out of the city why did he take him out of the city because the unbelief in the city takes him outside of the city and prays for him and says can you see and he says well i see men as trees praise for him again and he sees clearly that's why when Jairus's daughter died he ran off all the mourners because he can't do the miracle with all their unbelief your negativity will affect other people it'll prevent your faith from soaring it'll prevent you from believing there's some churches you couldn't get healed in if Jesus appeared because people have engrafted into people's minds and hearts that God doesn't heal anymore and so what we got to do is exactly what the word says and that is okay sometimes we got to isolate from some things i'm not going to watch the, i'm not going to watch the news tonight I, I know people during the election and everything they were watching the news eight hours a day and they were so negative man i'll tell you what negativity was a weapon anytime they walked by somebody they'd be killed you cannot feed on darkness that much and not expected to affect you if you want to get healed you got to be around people that believe in healing if you want to get a good marriage don't hang around people that are about ready to get a divorce hang around people that have a good marriage you want to prosper don't hang around everybody that's broke hang around people that got a vision for success in their life and it'll rub off on you amen and we don't measure people by what they have, but you can tell people that have a vision to do something in life and those that don't want to do anything for life. You can tell the difference. It rubs off. It affects you. You know, I'm not a sailor, but there's two types of things that sailors talk about. One is, one is a type of debris that comes from ships that are in storms. And the other type of debris is the debris that comes when a ship is shipwrecked the waves knock this debris off the ship whatever negativity is like the debris that a captain will throw overboard in the midst of a serious storm if he keeps the crates on the ship if he keeps the containers on the ship the waves will capsize the boat it'll sing so he pushes it overboard negativity is like that and the problem is the rest of the crew will go over with them if you keep the containers on the boat and what we got to do is realize that we are ships and there is a negative force trying to get into our marriage towards our children towards each other towards leadership in the church towards the pastor towards life in general politics whatever that negative force if you don't throw it overboard it will eventually sink your ship you'll never finish well if you become bitter you'll never accomplish much if you become better bitter and you might know some people who are bitter that have got great wealth i'm talking about good success you can't have good success 
If you're negative, it'll destroy you. Thanks for listening today. For more messages like this one, check out our podcast, River App, and our website at theriver.church. We're the river, and we're doing life together.